Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and supplemented them with research into ancient Egyptian beliefs. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Ra was tired. The god of the sun stood on the deck of his barge, looking down upon the land of Egypt with weary eyes. Everything hurt. His limbs had grown thin and frail, his face gaunt and worn. All he had to look forward to now was rest. It's time, father. His daughter Bast approached. Ra took her hand and she led him to the waiting sarcophagus. It took all his remaining strength to climb into it and lie down. Looking up, Ra saw a single tear run down his daughter's cheek. He wanted to comfort her, to tell her that death was but the next step on his journey, but he did not have the strength. Ra shut his eyes as the heavy stone lid slid into place above him. The sun set, Egypt slept, and the Mesectet carried Ra's body down the river of death and into the land of the dead. But deep in the water, something stirred, a demon of chaos and darkness as old as time itself, the serpent Apophis. The great snake lifted his head from the depths of the river. He flicked his forked tongue, tasting the air. Apophis could always sense the precise moment when the sun god's barge passed into the land of the dead. But this night, something was different. There was a scent in the atmosphere that he had not smelled in a millennia. A living soul had entered the Duat. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. Today we're telling the thrilling conclusion of the ancient Egyptian myth, The Land of the Dead. It tells the story of an Egyptian prince, Setna, and his magical son, Seosiris. Together, they were the only two mortals ever to visit the Egyptian underworld while still alive. Coming up, we'll begin the story. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For the ancient Egyptians, the Duat was not just the land of the dead, but a place of rebirth. Each evening, the sun god Ra would die and pass on into the underworld. A company of gods would board his barge and travel with his body through the twelve regions of night. 
Come morning, he would be born again and rise with the new day. The ancient Egyptians believed that this cycle of death and rebirth happened over and over, but it was far from guaranteed. Along with the gods that reside in Osiris's hall, the Duat is also home to many demons and nightmarish creatures. Chief among them is Ra's great enemy. He's called Apophis or Apep, and known as the Dragon of the Night or Serpent of the Nile. His sole purpose is to prevent Ra's rebirth and keep the world trapped in everlasting night. Apophis and Ra have been bound together since the beginning of time. In some versions of the story, when Ra was born, his umbilical cord was cut and it fell into the waters of the Nile, only to grow into Apophis. The ancient Egyptians believed that it took the work of everyone, gods and mortals alike, to keep Apophis at bay. While the gods worked tirelessly to defend Ra's barge, the Egyptians would perform rituals to give them strength. They would also perform spells to weaken Apophis, creating wax figurines of the serpent that they would then burn, melt, and deface. All of this was necessary to keep the cycle going, because if the serpent could consume Ra's body and prevent him from being reborn, the sun would never rise again. Prince Setna stared in horror from behind the bars of his birdcage. It was an appropriate prison, considering that his normal human body had been replaced with that of a golden-feathered hawk, although he still retained his own head and face. He was on the deck of a river barge, ferrying a company of animal-headed gods and recently deceased souls. They were moving through a desolate landscape, under a black sky devoid of moon or stars. Near the bow, the cat-headed goddess Bast clutched another hawk with the head of a small boy. As hard as it was to believe, this was the Ba, or soul, of Setna's son. It had been a surreal couple of hours, but Setna was used to the unusual. He was the fourth son of Pharaoh Ramses the Great and had spent his life excavating tombs from the Old Kingdom. He'd faced down powerful curses, deadly traps, and ghosts. He'd thought he had seen the worst dangers the universe had to offer, but nothing could have prepared him for fatherhood. His son, Seosiris, was not an ordinary child. From the moment he could speak, it became clear that he knew and understood things that should have been impossible. He could read ancient writings and perform advanced spells, like the one that had landed them in their current predicament. Seosiris had temporarily separated both of their souls from their bodies, allowing them to enter the land of the dead. Setna, however, had almost immediately managed to get himself captured by the gods on Ra's river barge. He'd ordered Seosiris to leave him and fly home to their bodies, but the boy had not listened. It struck Setna that Seosiris not listening was becoming a running theme, but he could worry about his son's behavior later. Right now, he had a much bigger problem to worry about. Setna gaped in horror as an enormous black serpent emerged from the water. It towered over the boat, staring down at Bast and Seosiris with huge red eyes. Apophis, he's early. Seosiris, look out! The serpent dove, lunging straight for Bast and Seosiris. The cat goddess sprung to the side with impressive agility, clutching Seosiris to her chest as she rolled out of the snake's path. Its head struck the ship with incredible force, causing it to pitch wildly, launching Setna's cage into the air. As it hit the deck, the cage door burst open and Setna shot through the opening. A moment later, he was in the air, flying above the river barge. The serpent had dove back into the water and was circling around for a second attack. On deck, the souls of the dead scrambled to get away from the monster. The gods raced to the front, brandishing spears in an attempt to keep it at bay. Where is he? 
Setna scanned the deck for any sign of Seo Cyrus when he spotted a flash of gold. At the back of the boat, the cat-headed bast was defending the sarcophagus that housed the body of Ra. She held an enormous knife in one hand, while the other still gripped Seo Cyrus. Say! Setna dove for Bast with talons outstretched, just as the snake reared its head a second time. It was just the diversion he needed. He fell on the cat goddess, scratching and clawing with all his might. Give me back my son! Bast released Seo Cyrus, but he fell to the deck and lay still. Setna swooped down to land beside him, just as the snake opened its jaws and dove again. This time, it was aiming directly for Ra's sarcophagus. Bast's eyes flashed with fear. Father, protect the sarcophagus! Setna saw a blur of red shoot past him. It was Set, the god with the head of a russet-furred dog. He vaulted over Ra's sarcophagus and hurled his spear in a single, fluid motion. The spear cut through the air and struck the snake beneath its left eye. The serpent thrashed angrily, then dove back into the water. Bast eyed the spot where it had disappeared, blade raised apprehensively, but it did not return. After a moment, the water stilled. Meanwhile, Setna helped Seo Cyrus to his feet. The boy seemed shaken, but otherwise appeared to be physically unharmed. Thank Ptah. How are your wings? All right, I think. Can you stand? We need to go. That would be wise. Setna looked up to find all the gods staring down at him. Bast approached, still holding her large knife. You've caused a lot of trouble, little prince. Apophis has never attacked so early in the night. Something has made him stronger than normal. I'm sorry, but what does that have to do with us? The balance of Ma'at. Very good, little bird. As living souls, you carry the light of the waking world, and you have brought that light into the Duat. But Ma'at demands balance. Where goes light, so follows darkness. The universe has sought to balance you by making Apophis stronger. But you defeated him, didn't you? For now, Apophis will grow strong as the night progresses, just as he always does. He will try again to stop the Mesectet and steal the body of Ra. And what if he succeeds? Then day will become night. Indeed. The gates of dawn will open, but it will not be Ra that rises through them. This time, Apophis will escape the Duat, and the world you know will become like this one. We would like very much to avoid that. Then I suggest you leave this place as soon as possible. How? Unfortunately, the only way out is through the Gates of Dawn, in the Twelfth Region of Night. Twelfth Region of Night. Perhaps you could give us directions? The gates open when Ra arrives. We will take you there and ensure that you leave. No arguments there. Good. The gods finally return to the task of ferrying the boat down the River of Death. Setna and Seosiris huddled near the sarcophagus of Ra, while Bast returned to the bow. Setna could tell that she was watching the dark waters for any signs of Apophis. The barge kept a slow but steady pace, and before long they reached the first gate. A massive wall of gray stone rose before them, stretching east and west as far as the eye could see. Atop its parapets, dark figures watched the barge approach. As they approached a great wooden door, Bast cupped her hands around her mouth and called to the figures in a loud voice. Guardians of the first gate, open and let pass the funeral barge of Ra. 
The door opened and the Mesectet boat passed through into the second region of night. This part of the Duat looked much like the first. Vast expanses of land stretched out under a dark void of a sky. But as they continued on, Sedna saw reeds and then stalks of wheat and corn growing alongside the river. Ethereal figures could be glimpsed here and there through the crops. They appeared to be hard at work, harvesting. Look, say, more spirits. They are the gods and heroes of old, who lived in the days of the first pharaoh. The work they do here will allow our own crops on earth to flourish. Is that something you learned from one of your tutors? No, I remembered it from before. From before what? Guardian of the second gate! Open and let pass the funeral barge of Ra! They had reached yet another gate, which opened like the first, allowing the barge to pass into the third region of night. This place was unlike the desolate landscape Setna and Seosiris had seen so far. Gone were the crumbling ruins and broken archways. Further on down the river, Setna could make out a vast palace, shining with the light of a thousand lanterns. He felt Seosiris's talon squeeze his own and glanced over to see his son staring at the palace. Do you know this place, Say? Yes. It is the Hall of Two Truths. You've been here before? Seosiris frowned but did not answer. Before Setna could press him further, the gods steered the barge into a large wooden dock leading up to the palace. Setna watched as the jackal-headed god Anubis stepped off onto the platform. Bast stalked toward the boat's ghostly passengers, beckoning for them to follow him. Souls of the newly dead must disembark here for the final judgment. It took several minutes for all of the souls to climb down onto the dock. Setna spotted the man in the fine robes and the one in beggar's rags standing beside him. That's how this whole thing had started. Those two men. He and Seosiris had seen both of their funerals from their balcony. Seosiris had said something strange. He had wished that Setna would have a death like the poor man's. The comment had angered Setna, but as he watched the souls now, he couldn't help but feel that he had somehow misunderstood. Even before they'd come to the land of the dead, Seosiris had always known things that no one could explain. It was one of the many things Setna loved about his child, but it also frightened him. It was a constant reminder that there were aspects of Seosiris that Setna simply didn't understand. And if he was being honest, Setna had to admit that he had gotten in the habit of ignoring some of his son's stranger comments. Perhaps it was he and not Seosiris who hadn't been listening. Wasn't there something you wanted to show me while we were here, Say? Yes, but we have to leave now. Hmm. Wait here a moment. I'll be right back. Setna flew across the barge and landed on the railing beside Bast. The cat goddess looked up in surprise. What now? My son and I would like to go ashore with the souls of the newly dead. He wishes to show me something of great importance. <laughs> How lovely. Unfortunately, there isn't time. We are leaving now. That's fine. My son and I will catch up with you shortly. Hmm. Do as you will. But if you are not at the gates of dawn by the time we reach it... We'll be there. Thank you, goddess. Sedna waved Seosiris over, and together they flew down to join the party waiting on the docks. There, the crowd of souls hurried after Anubis toward the castle. Sedna and Seosiris soared overhead. I'm glad you're going to see, Father. But do we have enough time? We'll get in and out and be back to the boat before you know it. Just stay close. The barge pulled away from the dock and continued on down the river of death. Sedna and Seosiris flew after Anubis and the souls toward the palace. 
Say Osiris smiled to himself as he eyed the towering walls. They would be the only living souls to look upon the Hall of Two Truths and return to tell the tale, as long as they made it back to the land of the living by dawn. Coming up, Sedna and Seosiris discover the destiny that awaits all spirits in the Duat. Hi, listeners. To celebrate our favorite month, Parcast Network is releasing a slate of new shows leaning into all things spooky and spine-tingling. And now we're bringing you an original series called Superstitions, featuring the origins and impacts of our most unusual beliefs and the stories of those who dare to defy them. Every week on Superstitions, hear a new drama that illustrates the eeriness and unlocks the mysteries of humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Like holding your breath while passing a cemetery so you don't wake the dead and make them jealous, or carrying the foot of an animal known to have an evil eye, or using iron to keep away the devil. They may seem mystical or even completely illogical, but one thing is certain. You ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more ParCast shows, search ParCast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of spooky October programming to enjoy. Now back to the story. The most important place in all of the land of the dead was the Hall of Two Truths. It was here that Osiris was said to reside, along with a council of gods, and it was here that the souls of the dead received their final judgment. Preparing for this ceremony was central to Egyptian burial practices. People were mummified and buried along with offerings and spells, either written on papyrus funerary texts known as the Book of the Dead, or carved into the tombs themselves. Many of these spells were designed to help the dead pass through judgment in the Hall of Two Truths by appeasing and impressing the gods. However, according to some texts, this ordeal was not the end of the soul's journey. If they passed, they would continue on through the Duat, where they would face all manner of dangers. Many spells from the Book of the Dead seek to help with these obstacles, such as Spell 31, which guards against attacks from crocodiles, Spell 41, which protects against demonic servants, and Spell 63, which allows the soul to drink water in the Duat without being burned. If they could successfully navigate these dangers, they would reach Aru, the Field of Reeds, a paradise where their soul would live forever in a state of bliss. But if the souls failed their ordeal at the Hall of Two Truths, their journey would come to a sudden and permanent end, known as the Second Death. Say Osiris soared over the souls of the newly dead with his father beside him. They had passed through an archway into a large courtyard and were now approaching a massive stone doorway. Say Osiris felt his skin prickle with anticipation. The sense of familiarity had grown stronger the deeper they went into the Duat. Though he still could not say exactly when or how, he was certain that he had been here before. The jackal-headed Anubis reached the door and placed one palm against each side. The muscles of his back tensed with exertion as he pushed. Slowly, the massive stone slabs began to move. Once the gates were flung open, Anubis led the army of souls into the entryway. Another god was waiting for them in the center of the room. This one had the body of a man and the head of a long-billed water bird. He held out a hand as they approached and called out, Stop! I will not announce thee unless thou knowest my name. Seosiris watched as the souls shuffled around, looking at one another awkwardly. He wasn't sure if they didn't know the answer, or if they were too shy to speak up in the presence of the gods. But to his surprise, it was Sedna who stepped forward. 
I know you, doorkeeper. You are Thoth, the wise god. And who are you? I am Setna Kamwas, son of Pharaoh, high priest of Ptah, father of Seosiris. Allow us to enter the Hall of Two Truths, so that we might relate to what we see to those in the land of the living. And what is your condition? My condition? We are pure of sin! Uh, yes, very pure. Then follow. Thoth turned on his heel and strode deeper into the palace. Anubis and the souls trailed after him, while Sedna and Seosiris flew above them. They passed through several more doorways before emerging into a vast hall with a vaulted dome ceiling. An army of animal-headed gods were seated in a circle at the edges of the room. They all sat perfectly still, except for their eyes, which followed the souls as they made their way to the center of the hall. Thoth gestured for them to stop there, then continued on to one side of a large dais. The platform held two large marble thrones. In one sat a woman. She had hair as black as night and enormous, colorful wings that extended from her arms. Her eyes bored into Seosiris, burning with a startling intensity. But the figure seated beside her was even more striking. He was twice as tall as a normal man and wrapped from head to toe in the bindings of mummification. His arms were crossed before him, and he held a small shepherd's crook in one hand and a flail in the other. A golden crown shaped like a cobra rested on his head. Thoth took his place at the base of the dais and turned to face the souls again. Souls of the newly dead, you stand in the hole of two truths before the Lord Osiris, king of the gods and keeper of the dead. Let those among you who are pure of sin come forward and defend yourselves. Setna and Seosiris watched as one by one the souls stepped forward and knelt before the dais. Seosiris glanced at his father, who was taking in the scene with dumbfounded fascination. This is the final judgment described in the Book of the Dead. See how the souls address the jury of gods by name? They will announce the sins that they can honestly say they have not committed. The negative confession. What if they do not know their names? Then I fear that the gods may be less inclined to believe them. Look, there goes the rich man now. You see, he does not come unprepared. Seosiris and Setna watched as the man in fine robes stepped up to kneel before the dais. After addressing each of the gods by name, he reached into his satchel for a papyrus scroll. As he unfurled the scroll and began to read, Setna's eyes brightened with recognition. I know this incantation. It is spell 125 from the Book of the Dead. It will disguise his sins from the jury. If it has been prepared correctly, we will see if Osiris allows him to pass. Sure enough, as soon as the man had finished speaking, Thoth turned to face the mummified god. There was a brief pause, then Osiris nodded. Thoth waved for the rich man to move to the side to join the rest of the souls. Next up, it was the poor man's turn. Unlike the rich man, he did not carry any scrolls, but he knelt before the dais and rattled off the names of the gods just the same. Once he had finished proclaiming his innocence, Thoth looked to Osiris, who nodded again. The poor man was ushered aside to stand with the others. Setna stroked his chin thoughtfully. So the rich man and the poor man both passed. So far, but the trial is not complete. Next comes the weighing of the hearts. Anubis had stepped forward again. He approached the closest soul, which happened to belong to the rich man. Without warning, the jackal-headed god plunged his fist into the man's chest. The nobleman gasped in pain, but did not resist. When Anubis withdrew his hand, he was holding a solid, beating heart. 
Sedna and Seosiris watched as Anubis carried the rich man's heart across the hall to a set of large, golden scales. A dark pit had been dug into the floor around the scales so that the baskets hung over it. From where Seosiris and Setna stood, it was impossible to see what lay at the bottom of the pit or how deep it was. One side of the scale held a single white feather. Anubis stepped forward and placed the rich man's heart in the other empty basket. The room watched in silence as the scales dipped, inching back and forth. For a moment, the scales seemed to balance, but then the basket holding the heart dipped. Seosiris heard the rich man gasp in horror as the scales came to a stop. The feather of Ma'at reveals the truth. His heart is heavy with sin. Release the devourer of souls! Hammett! Say, I want you to close your eyes. But I want to see... Please, your mother would never forgive me. Seosiris sighed, but did as his father asked. He would not watch, but he could still listen. Seosiris felt a blast of hot breath on his face as a deep, throaty growl echoed through the hall. Even with his eyes shut tight, he could picture what was happening perfectly in his mind. Right now, a monstrous head was rising from the pit, nearly as large as the skull of the serpent Apophis. But this was the head of a great crocodile and with the mane of a lion. Amit, the devourer of souls. Seosiris heard a violent snap and an ear-splitting cry of anguish. Amit's jaws had closed around the heart. Then there was a distant splash as the beast fell back into the pit. All right, Say, you can open them. Seosiris opened his eyes. The heart was gone, but the soul of the rich man still remained. But before the rich man could move, Anubis seized him by the throat and dragged him, kicking and screaming, from the room. Seosiris glanced at his father. Setna was pale, and his forehead beaded with sweat. He shook his head in wonder. Incredible. Even though he had all those spells and offerings... It is one thing to fool the gods, but another to trick the scales of justice. What will happen to him? He will be cast out into the darkness. Eventually, Apophis will find him and eat his ka. Once his physical body wastes away, there will be nothing left of him anywhere in the universe. The second death. That's what you meant, isn't it, Say? That's why you prayed I would have the fate of the poor man instead of the rich man? We will see if I was right. The poor man's fate has yet to be decided. When Anubis returned, he was carrying the rich man's fine scarlet robes and satchel of food and papyrus spells. He set them aside, and the ceremony continued. One by one, the hearts of the dead were weighed against the feather of Ma'at. Those that balanced were directed to stand to the side near Thoth and those whose hearts outweighed the feather received the same fate as the rich man. Setna made Seosiris keep his eyes shut each time a heart was fed to Amit. Soon enough, only the poor man was left. He shuffled forward, not showing even a hint of fear. Anubis took his heart and placed it on the scales of justice. The room watched as the scales dipped first one way and then the other before finally balancing. The feather of my art reveals the truth. His heart is pure. He passed. What now? Now his journey begins. Those who survive the final judgment will continue through the duat on foot. They will face many obstacles and demons. But those who reach the end will live forever in paradise in the field of reeds. Then the poor man still might not make it? He might not, but his chances are better than most. 
As they watched, Anubis took the robes and satchel of spells that had belonged to the rich man and presented them to the poor man. Seosiris smiled to himself. Ma'at had found a way to achieve balance once again. Sedna placed a wing around Seosiris's shoulders. Thank you for bringing me here, Say. This has been the most incredible journey of my life. I'm glad to have shared it with you, Father. But I think it's time we go home. Stop! Seosiris and Setna turned at the sound of Thoth's voice. Looking up, they saw that the mummified god was now standing on the dais and pointing his crook directly at Seosiris. But it was the bird-headed Thoth who called to them. Stop there, boy. Lord Osiris would like to speak with you. Seosiris tried to swallow, but his mouth had suddenly gone dry. He had survived the journey through the land of the dead so far by trusting his instincts and foggy memories. And right now, every inch of his being was screaming one word. Run. Coming up, Setna and Seo Cyrus race against time to escape the land of the dead or be trapped there forever. Now, back to the story. Setna paced nervously, his clawed talons clicking on the marble floor of the hall. He had not taken his eyes off his son since Osiris, the god of death, had summoned the boy to his dais. Seosiris was now perched on the arm of the giant, mummified god's throne. It looked like he was listening intently, though no words were being exchanged. After what seemed like an eternity, the mummified Osiris held out his hand, offering a small, golden object. Seosiris took it in his talons and flew back to his father. What was that about? He gave me this. Setna looked down at the object clutched in Seosiris's talon. It was a scarab beetle with golden wings. Setna frowned. Why would he give you this? He said it was a piece of him. What else did he say? You were over there for some time. You're right. It's getting late. We'd best be on our way if we hope to reach the Mesectet boat in time. One moment. Say! Sedna scowled in frustration as his son lifted off, soaring through the open doorway. Sedna flew after him, emerging into the fourth region of night. Down below, he could see the souls of the dead just setting out on their journey across the desert. Seosiris had already flown past them and was soaring back toward the river of death. Setna tried to pull up alongside Seosiris, but every time he did, Seosiris would pick up speed. Setna caught a glimpse of the boy's face. His expression was strangely rigid. His brow furrowed. Something was weighing on him. They flew on over barren deserts, great fields of wheat, and ancient-looking structures. Seosiris was faster, but Sedna pushed forward with all his energy. He finally caught up with his son as they were passing over the border of the eighth region of night. Say, slow down. I need to speak with you. What is it, father? Tell me what happened back there. What did Osiris say to you? He... he told me about my past life. There are no past lives. We've just seen what happens to the dead. We saw one path, but it is not the only path. I was sent back. Why? That I do not know. He said there was something I still had to do, something important. He also said... Say, whatever it is, you can tell me. <laughs> he told me that it would not be long before I returned to him. And that this time, this time, I would not be sent back. No, that's not happening. Father. That's exactly right. I am your father, not that god of death. This is why I didn't want to tell you. I should have never taken you in there. 
Father! The sooner we get out, the better. Father, look! Setna finally turned, following Seosiris's gaze. They had just passed over the gate into the tenth region of night. A storm was brewing on the horizon. Red bolts of lightning scored the sky, piercing the veil of ash-black clouds to illuminate the scene below. The Mesectet barge was just ahead, but the boat had run aground on the bank of the river, its nose partially submerged in the black water. A number of the gods were struggling to climb back onto the deck. As Setna watched, Apophis rose from the depths of the river. The giant serpent coiled around the ship and spread its cobra-like hood. Apophis! Not too close, say. I think they're in trouble! They'll be all right. They battle this demon every night, remember? But as they flew closer, it seemed apparent that the gods were losing the struggle. Apophis struck again and again, snatching the animal-headed deities and tossing them into the river. Setna saw the russet-haired god Set rush forward and hurl his javelin like before, but this time it glanced uselessly off the demon's scales. Apophis's massive tail struck the dog-headed god, sending him tumbling over the railing. The demon's path was clear. Apophis ripped the cloth awning covering the rear of the vessel, exposing the ornate sarcophagus of Ra. Setna gasped as the great snake tore the coffin from the deck and swallowed it in a single gulp. No! It killed him! It killed Ra! Setna opened his mouth to reply, but he had no words of comfort to offer. Seosiris was right. Apophis had won. Ra was gone. The sun would never rise again. As he looked on, Sedna saw a figure crawl out of the river onto the deck of the barge. It was Bast, the cat-headed goddess. She was clutching her shoulder and seemed almost too weak to stand, but she still held the large knife. Apophis lowered its massive head, level with the cat goddess. Bast tried to raise her blade, but she was too weak. She dropped to one knee, supporting herself with the knife. Suddenly, Seosiris shot forward, hurtling toward the boat. Setna dove after him. He reached out with his talon and grabbed his son by the tail feathers, throwing them both off balance. They plummeted downward in a mad spiral, but Setna held on tight. No, say, it's too late. It's not. Father, listen. I know what I'm doing. I can't lose you. You have to let me go. Setna closed his eyes. Ever since the boy's birth, he had tried to keep his son from growing up too fast. But Seosiris was right. Setna could not hold him back anymore. He released Seosiris's tail and spread his wings, pulling up sharply. Seosiris turned, setting his sights on Apophis. He gained speed rapidly until he was hurtling like a comet toward the Great Serpent. On the deck of the Mesectet, Basque looked up. Apophis turned, red eyes fixing on Seosiris. The serpent opened its mighty jaws wide, but Seosiris didn't stop. He dove right into the snake's open mouth and disappeared down its throat. Apophis snapped his jaws shut. Say no! Apophis's eyes bulged. Setna looked down to see Bast clinging to the serpent, her great knife embedded in its scaly neck. Seosiris had given her all the distraction she needed. Apophis spasmed as Bast stabbed again and again, spraying her with oily black blood. The demon threw back its head and its jaws snapped open. A blast of overpowering light, bright as the sun, erupted from its throat. Setna shielded his eyes with a wing, squinting through the feathers. 
a figure emerged from Apophis's jaws, rising effortlessly into the sky. He had the body of a man and the head of a hawk. He wore a golden crown with a wide, circular disc that burned with blinding intensity, and clutched in his beak was the golden scarab that Seosiris had carried. Ra had risen. The god floated down toward the Mesectet boat, which was rising back to the surface of the river. Its broken planks lifted from the water, falling into place to repair the gaping opening in its hull. As Ra's feet touched the deck, Apophis slumped and crashed into the river. As the massive snake sunk beneath the dark water, Bast leapt from its back and landed on the deck of the barge. She was cradling something in her arms. Setna swooped down and landed on the boat's railing in front of the cat goddess. He watched, blinking through tears, as the small creature stirred in her arms. Wake up, little bird. <sighs> Say? Say Osiris? <laughs> Father? You're alive! Say you did it! You... What exactly did you do? I simply delivered the scarab to Ra. His soul merged with that of Osiris and was reborn even stronger than before. The balance of Ma'at has been restored, Setna, son of Pharaoh. Apophis lost tonight, but he will return again tomorrow. I think it would be wise if you were both gone when that happens. I agree. What do you think, Say? Are you ready? Let's go home. Before long, the deck of the Mesectet was once again teeming with animal-headed gods. Now Ra stood at the bow alongside his daughter, Bast. Setna and Say Osiris flew overhead. They followed the boat through two more sets of gates into the eleventh and twelfth regions of night. Finally, they passed through the towering gates of dawn. Cold wind whipped Setna's feathers as they passed through the portal. The sky was still mostly dark, but he could once again see the stars and the moon, and then the first rays of the sun peeking over the mountains. They had emerged into the land of the living, just east of Thebes. Setna scanned the skyline until he spotted their home. Say, didn't you say we needed to be back at the temple before sunup? That's right! We must rejoin our bodies before the light touches the shrine, or the spell will become permanent. Well then, I think we'd better get moving. Race you home? You know I'm faster than you. <laughs> then it's a good thing I've got a head start. <laughs> Father! <laughs> The boss of Setna and Seosiris spread their golden wings and flew back through the night to Thebes. They entered the shrine through the opening in the roof and found their cause, their spirit selves, waiting patiently above their bodies. Moments later, father and son finally emerged from the shrine in their original mortal form. They walked home arm in arm as a new day dawned over the land of Egypt. If ancient Egypt represents one of humanity's first great civilizations, then their mythology is a window into the minds of our earliest ancestors. The story of Sedna and Seosiris' journey into the land of the dead offers a rare glimpse into their view of the universe, and especially their understanding of the afterlife. The ancient Egyptians had an incredibly elaborate and vivid conception of the Duat, sectioned into distinct regions and populated by a menagerie of gods and demons. While few cultures' underworlds can match the Duat's complexity, belief in some form of life after death has appeared in nearly every civilization across every age. The question of what happens to us after we die has captivated humans for as long as we've been telling stories and will continue to fascinate us until the moment we leave the land of the living. Unlike Setna and Seosiris, we will never know for certain what comes next 
before we get there ourselves. But until we do, we have our stories to comfort and prepare us, either for our final destination or the next step in our journey. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on the Land of the Dead, amongst the many sources we used, we found Roger Lancelin Green's Tales of Ancient Egypt to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythology was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Bill Butts, Kai Jordan, and Rebecca Thomas. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Remember to follow Superstitions for new episodes featuring our most unusual beliefs. Are they side effects of ancient folklore or truly the masters of our fates? Look closely and examine the writing on the wall. Superstitions airs every Wednesday, free on Spotify.